and welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, with two full hours that are connected together because we're going to pretty much stay focused on the University of Washington, on their mandates um, that have come down for, for staff as well as students. These are not state mandates. We're going to talk about those too. The, although some of them may be, I don't know um, if, if they're state employees, but these are coming from the University of Washington itself. Today is going to be a call-in show. So after the first half hour, after we get started, we would love it if you have something to say, if you're at the UW yourself or a loved one is and you have some concerns or comments or experiences, please call us at 1-888-298-KKNW. Those numbers are 5569. Again, that's 1-888-298-5569. So before I bring on our guests, I'm going to walk you through some resources. I know that a lot of people right now are very concerned with what's going on. And you have every right to be. Uh, what is happening is unprecedented. Um, I believe it's unethical. It's not based on science. <laughs> and uh, we all need to stand up, clasp hands, and uh, say no, um, and figure out how to change things and get things done. So you will find on our homepage at informedchoicewa.org, you will find our page um, about your rights and some resources. So attorneys have been reaching out to us, individuals have been, everybody's trying to find each other where they are, join forces, and um, come together to end the mandates where they are. So on this page, you're going to find some basic information. Um, I don't give medical or legal advice, but... I'm going to give you some suggestions based on what we have been hearing. And the suggestions are number one, if you're in a situation where you're being faced with a mandate um, to seek the best information you can and legal counsel, if you can get it, they're very busy um, about how to properly file a religious exemption or a medical exemption if you qualify. But um, I'll, well, we might talk about that more later. They're limiting medical exemptions in many um, venues and many places to something very absurd. Um, so we'll talk about that later. So number one, file a proper exemption for yourself. Make sure it's properly written before you file it. Number two, register at a website called Employees for Informed Consent. All one word, employeesforinformedconsent.com. There is a group of fabulous advocates, activists who are helping gather people um, and uniting them and helping them find each other according to profession um, and maybe even where they work. I, I, I just encourage you to go sign up with them um, so that you can work together. Uh, there's power in numbers in this. So you are not alone by far. As you go through that page, you're going to find some resources for legal support. The Pacific Justice Institute is um, particularly focused on religious exemptions, and they've been so swamped. I tell you, their Zoom meetings have maxed out at a thousand. A couple I couldn't get in because they, they had maxed out. They have generously put 
their most up-to-date legal advice right on their website. So if you go to this page on our website, you can link over to it. I believe sign up for free and it gives you access to their best advice and just continue to monitor them because they're, they're trying to keep everybody up to date. They're just amazing, working really hard. I've heard of another one called Liberty Council, but I have not explored them much yet, but you can link to them also from our website. America's Frontline Doctors are doing a great job. You can also um, register to try to get personal uh, legal counsel through their service. Um, a little information there for healthcare workers. We, we're providing you with some resources for taking action, um, telling people find physicians for informed consent, put kids first, uh, make America's free again. There's, I'm so proud of Americans right now. They are just, we're like, we're just like children finding our way and figuring out what it really means, who we really are as American citizens. It's, you know, our understanding of freedom has been put to the test and people are rising up and figuring it out and then supporting each other. It's, it's really pretty amazing. So please explore that page. Um, reach out to us if you have any questions. We have brought on a legal liaison who is helping match up a lot of these legal resources to the people who need them. So send us an email at, um, why can't I think of the uh, email address? It went just blank out of my head. Contact, there we go. Contact at informedchoicelaw.org. And then I'm gonna move you on over here. Uh, oh, that's the petition. This is has to do with uh, our guests today, they have started a petition um, having to do with the mandates. And we encourage everybody to go to that petition, read it carefully. It's, it's really well written, a couple of pages that you click through and, and put your name down in support of what they are doing. You can find that on our website. And then um, I'm hoping y'all are following. Is, is the screen share following? Keep keeping up, give me a nod over there. Yay. Okay, with this. Um, so it's really concerning that these mandates continue to grow and more and more people are cast under their net in the face of the fact that we now have biological studies showing antibody dependent enhancement is happening for the vaccinated in relation to the Delta variant. We'll go into a little more detail on the show about that so you know what that means. But Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, said today, and, and I'm, I'm just reading the headlines here, but she went on international news and admitted if you got the COVID-19 vaccine, and it, the headline says early, I'm not sure what's meant by that, that it has increased your risk of severe disease to the Delta variant. So now we have the CDC admitting what Fauci said in March of 2020, that the worst thing that could happen would be, we give you a vaccine and then you get exposed to the virus and it makes your disease worse. This is what has happened because they rushed. They rushed the animal models. They rushed everything about this. They did not do the proper studies. And here we are in the worst case scenario, and somehow mandates are increasing. It makes no sense. I think I had one more. Oh, we encourage people to sign up when they come to our page. Um, I think that was about it. This is our main page. We've got some great resources here. For those of you who've had COVID, there's a great study. Go uh, find this 
web page here or this post, naturally immune people develop ultra potent antibodies against variants. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. This is another biological study. So um, later on in the show, I'm going to play for you a great five minute little video about ivermectin and about the home kit you need to have on hand that the expert pulmonary um, care doctors are saying needs to be on your shelf. So if COVID comes your way, you are prepared day one to address it to prevent severe disease. Okay, so we got this. You just need to spread the word. We got this. Even though we're going to talk a lot of doom and gloom here on the show today, there is no need to fear. There are treatments. There are many treatments. You just need to know about them in advance. Be prepared and you're good to go. And with that, I am going to stop sharing this and I am going to move on now to my guests. So I'm going to start with Javier, who has been on the show before. Javier Figueroa is a PhD graduate from the University of Washington. Javier, can you um, say hi and then tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Certainly. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I'm uh, absolutely proud to be sharing uh, this time with uh, Jessica Holmes, who uh, I would say uh, very bravely, but also uh, very proactively decided to uh, get in front of this. So uh, yes, I am a graduate of the University of Washington. Uh, my, my doctorate was in neurobiology and behavior. I came from the Department of Environmental Health and Toxicology in the School of Public Health. Uh, I've done, uh, I've, most of my uh, educational career has been in the life sciences. I graduated from UC Davis with a bachelor's in microbiology and virology. That's where I got the introduction to uh, microbes and viruses and disease, as well as as, as in um, bioweapons development. A lot of my teachers were experts in that field. So we got a, an introduction to the uh, do's and don'ts, as well as the potential hazards. Uh, one of the things I have to say about the University of Washington is the training that I received uh, as part of uh, uh, managing uh, animal colonies and doing research uh, with the biological agents was the great care they took in uh, training us on how to do things correctly in order to avoid becoming infected or hurt or poisoned by the various substances that we work with. So there was a lot of industrial hygiene application to the work that we were doing. So we got a great deal of training on what is the national standards of what to do. Uh, So I've also been uh, in the field of clinical research uh, for now, wow, Uh, for the past 15 years uh, in various areas right now. And currently I am working in the field of uh, cancer therapy. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I I so enjoyed um, hearing from you over the past year or so. You're, you know, highly qualified insights into, into all that's happening, your common sense, and also you for your courage. And Isn't it crazy in the United States of America that I'm having to recognize it takes courage to talk about this? It's it that we really need if if I hope that's one of the outcomes of COVID is ending the um, uh, I'm struggling for words myself today, Um, you know, ending the censorship and the fear around having medical discussions on the topic of vaccination. You can have it on almost every other health 
health subject except this and that needs to stop that was done intentionally and um our other guest today um who javier did mention is jessica hi jessica hi bernadette thanks for having me on you bet so tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i'm a teacher at the university of washington i've taught at the college level in the humanities for about eight years. Uh, I have a master's and a PhD from UW. And yeah, I'm just a teacher. I love my students, I love teaching, and I've been really dismayed to see what's happened over the past year and a half, going on two years broadly, but also specifically in education. And so I'm, I'm here today kind of representing this growing group of workers and students at the UW or associated with the UW, which is we're calling it UW for choice. And so we're here to talk about our, our petition and the evolving situation at the UW. And um, yeah, likewise um, to, to Javier, thank you for being here. And we've been really inspired by the work you've been doing, your open letter to the Board of Regents. Um, so we just really appreciate you being in support of, of us here today. That's wonderful. So the three of us here, you know, I, I graduated from UW as well, UW Buffalo campus. Uh, you know, I, a lot of us have a lot of love for the UW, a lot of history, you know, in my, what I call my former life back writing fiction, I, I even have my main character, uh, a professor in the early days of the University of Washington. Um, and there's great people at the university, there's great students, there's great culture and history. What is happening now to me feels like a, a, a powerful control that permeates, but from the outside, as it were. And I became first aware of this actually a couple of years ago when the university added to the vaccination requirements for, I think it was just freshmen and sophomores, the meningococcal vaccine. So I did some research on meningococcal disease and the vaccine products targeting it and it made no sense to mandate it the strains the risk of getting the strain in the vaccines was one in a million the risks of harm from the vaccines are unknown because it is so rare they can't test efficacy and and it doesn't prevent transmission is, does that sound familiar? From student to student, and it wanes very rapidly, also familiar. And we you know, put forth a challenge, asked them to provide their data. They had been partnering with the Department of Health, many people there, and they refused to really engage other than to finally, uh, under some pressure, say we've made up our mind, this is what we're doing. And that's exactly what you're experiencing now. And I sensed a pressure coming from the outside, uh, you know, um, whether it be from the pharmaceutical industry saying, you know, we're, we're funding you over here, you need to get our product over there. I don't know what happens, you know, I'm not privy to that. I'm not saying that's what happened. But when you have, when you have mandates and policies that make no sense, when you look closely at the science and the data, something else must be driving it. I mean, we learn to be critical thinkers at the UW, right? <laughs> And, you know, if we were to write a paper about this, this is what we would conclude that, you know. Um, okay, so where do we even begin this big discussion? What do you, what do you think? I, first of all, Jessica, what are you sensing 
for support of what you're doing from staff and students? Are you getting a groundswell or a lot of people? So it's it's a little hard to tell. Um, I mean, let me just give you a little bit of context kind of as far as like what's been happening at the University of Washington, because I know, you know, not every listener might be here in, in Seattle. Um, so we've been online since March 2020. There's been maybe a very small smattering of like a few lab-based courses, but for the most part, everybody's been online for a year and a half, um, which has made it really difficult to have a sense of where my colleagues are at, where my students are at. Um, I teach on Zoom every day. So I see my students, I talk to my students, I have the luxury and the humanities of having relatively small uh, course sizes. Um, so I'm able to make some kind of a connection, but it's really difficult when you don't have access to these, you know, hallway discussions, after class discussions, informal interactions with colleagues. Um, but I have been, you know, through my activism and just being in the in the community over the past year and a half, I have been able to to be in touch with a few people. Um, and as things have started to escalate more and more, especially these past few months, we grew, you know, we're growing increasingly concerned. Um, so basically, the administration announced a couple months ago that they were planning to reopen the university for in person instruction for the fall. So starting in September. Um, and then since then, we've kind of had this staggered announcement of various mandates. So I think it was May 2021, they announced that they were going to mandate the COVID vaccine for all students. About a month later in June, uh, same thing, but for all employees, they said they were going to allow for exemptions for medical, religious, philosophical. Masks would be required for unvaccinated individuals. Um, so already we were worried about that kind of discrimination. And then last month they came out with uh, the sort of official protocol, which is or was a simple attestation form in which you could essentially check a box if you wanted to claim an exemption. Now the kind of catch there is that the exemption agreement included language acknowledging that you were essentially agreeing to adhere to possible additional public health and safety requirements. So i.e potentially masking, testing, et cetera, not really clearly defined. And then um, most recently in August, they have reinstated the mask mandate for everybody. So myself and a, and a few colleagues were kind of feeling like things were really escalating uh, fast and really far out of control. Um, and then so last week, what really kind of pushed us over the edge was a, a document, a petition, which was sent to me uh, by one of my supervisors actually just about a week ago. Uh, and this is a petition that's being circulated on behalf of AAUP, which is essentially like our, our chapter uh, of the Teachers Association. It's the American Association of University Professors. And this petition, which was signed by many of my um, close, close colleagues, um, and it's calling for things such as uh, requiring more meaningful proof of vaccination, um, documentation for every exemption, requiring any student or employee who wants a non-medical exemption to complete uh, an online COVID education model module. <laughs> document their reasoning. I know it's really scary stuff. And then also to require all unvaccinated students and employees to undergo weekly COVID testing. Um, they wanted, as a quote-unquote added surveillance measure, UW, um, they wanted UW to implement pooled testing by monitoring the wastewater, which we really think is a, a waste of resources. Um, 
universal indoor mask mandate uh, and to clarify appropriate steps that people should take if they encounter somebody who's not following the mandates. Um, and then guaranteed accommodations, not for all people, um, but for at-risk instructors and those with at-risk household members. So this is just a few of the demands um, that they are requesting from administration. And so that petition had, um, I think as of yesterday, like over 600 signatures, which mm -hmm. to me, um, I understand the concerns, but it was really disheartening to see that. I've been out on the streets for, for over a year now advocating for medical freedom, freedom and, and just the right to bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. And it's really disheartening to see my own friends and my own colleagues who I, I love and respect not just complying, but, you know, not just complying with what I see as a real assault on our, our community, but now actively organizing against us. Mm -hmm. So we felt we had to do something. Um, it's obviously a massive institution. We're kind of up against the wall here. Like, just to be real with you, it's, it's kind of a David and Goliath. But one of my colleagues who is in global health and I got together just over this past weekend and we drafted our own petition to the UW administration and we started our own group, which we're calling UW for Choice. And with the petition, we're just calling for some very, very basic things, um, fair and equal treatment for all students and workers. We're just asking that UW not discriminate based on personal medical decisions or medical status mm -hmm. and not to coerce anybody into making decisions that might um, you know, com compromise their values and or their health. Um, so, no discrimination, no coercion. That's that's it. That's what we're asking for. Yeah, and you would think that that just comes with being living in a free society, um, you know, and it matches it matches the science as well. Um, you know, it's so important that I mean, what we have now are, are vaccines that are completely failing to protect, that are actually increasing a person's risk of severe disease that don't prohibit transmission and that come with an unprecedented historically high number of injuries and deaths. But even if the products they were doing all this for were much safer and effective, we never want to lose as free people the right to say no. In this case, it's so absurd because the products are such utter failures. If a product worked and was safe, you would not have to bully anybody into choosing it. You wouldn't, right? Now, I'm a farm. I'm. I'm. I tend to be nature first, drugs last. I'm not opposed to pharmaceuticals, but they have their place. But I'm pharma first. But for the past, well, as soon as I discovered, you know, like the hydroxychloroquine, along with all the nutrients, but then when ivermectin came along and I did my homework, I did my medical due diligence, and I continued to follow that, I'm telling everybody, here's burn it up, pushing a pharmaceutical. Yes, indeed I am, because it prevents infection and it prevents severe disease. And the studies are just, you know, indisputable, irrefutable. Um, but I, like I said, I really appreciate that this effort is just to protect that freedom to say, no, we can be responsible. We can be safe. We can take steps. This bullying is, um, unacceptable. It's a horrible, slippery slope. Javier, your comments. Just unmuting myself. Well, you know, I would think that 
if uh, the University of Washington was really serious about uh, mandates and ensuring uh, the safety and, and public health of all individuals, I would be okay with uh, having a requirement for displaying whether or not I'm COVID, uh, if I took the vaccine, as long as everyone else gets to pin all, all their medical history, all the shots they've taken, all the STD medication they've taken, whether or not they've had an abortion or not, all of that, are they on, are they on um, uh, psychiatric medications? All those things. If they'd be willing to do that and have people walking around with those pins, I would say that that is fair. But that's the thing. It's nobody's business. It's nobody's business, it's yeah. nobody's business. And here's the thing. Everyone says, well, if you don't have anything to hide, you'd share it. That's not the point. In the Constitution, even here in the, in the, in the great state of Washington, we have a right to privacy. And here's the thing, the right to privacy comes with the responsibility to demand that right and ensure that under the law, you get to keep it. And what the University of Washington has done, which is absolutely irresponsible and reprehensible, and I'm talking and I hope that this gets to the Board of Regents and to the President of the University of Washington, you have violated federal law, you have violated international treaties, an EUA gene therapy cannot be mandated, cannot be forced, and coercion is against every single statement and testament under Nuremberg and Helsinki. It is an absolute violation of international law. This now stands right now as a crime against humanity. It does. It does. It's no exaggeration. And no exaggeration. Yeah, it, it violates clinical trial regulations. All vaccines, no matter if they're this experimental, are actually considered under clinical trials always. Because when you get to phase four, which is used by the general public, that's where the vast amount of adverse reactions and injuries, that's where they get recalled. You know, that's where it's discovered. And so there are supposed to be ever ongoing um, um, trials to look at the how what's happening to the population and clinical trial regulations are very clear coercion and undue influence are absolutely unacceptable so you know there's just it's just absurd now the argument that is given which is even more absurd with a failed product like these shots is that your rights end where somebody else's health begins and there's just so much in that that needs to be flipped. Partly it's um, that as human beings, we're microbial beings, we need to breathe and interchange microbes with each other. That's how our immune system stays strong. And number two is personal responsibility. We have to take personal responsibility for our own shield. It is physically impossible. You can spend trillions, as the governments of the world have done, trying to stop a virus that's smaller than, than the fold of a mask, than the, the weave of any paper or cloth mask. You, you, know, you can spend trillions attempting to do that, attempting to do it with these products, but you cannot. The only thing you can do is ensure your own immune health so that you can get to that amazing robust immunity that nature provides you know but this paradigm of fear the virus fear each other's breath it has been how do you get a liberty loving 
lawful society who really want to do good by their neighbors, how do you get them to give up their freedom? You make them fear each other's breath. It's evil brilliance. It really is. And it doesn't protect society. It doesn't, fearing somebody's breath does not keep you healthy. It does not keep you from getting severe disease, only individual health. Okay. So Bernadette, could I make one more comment? Yes. I see callers coming in. I'm excited to hear from oh, the good. Community. But I just wanted to make one more comment just in regard to kind of, you know, this isn't theoretical, right? Like these are real people's lives. And one of the things that I'm really continue to be flabbergasted by um, both in terms of my institution and then just the government and governments at large is the unwillingness to contend with the, the demographic disparities, right? So we have really clear national data that there's a massive class divide in terms of vaccine uptake. Um, that Blacks and Hispanics, as well as women, vaccinate at lower rates compared to their white and or male counterparts. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about, you know, what kind of community we want on our campus and what we all constantly say that we're fighting for, right, which is racial justice, uh, gender and sex justice, right? Um, and we know that all forms of surveillance, where, whether it's medical or otherwise, disproportionately negatively impact racial minorities, women, the working class. And I know in Washington specifically, our, our data reflects that, right? Like black populations are vaccinating at lower rates. So that's one, one thing I really just wanna ask my friends and colleagues at UW, like, are we really down to further segregate our public institutions? I mean, this is really crazy. We talk all night, all day at UW about equity, diversity, inclusion, about lifting up BIPOC voices and yet, suddenly when some mm -hmm. of those voices are expressing a dissenting opinion, a different understanding and experience of the medical system in this country, not to mention the, the biosecurity state, we immediately ostracize and exclude them from the discourse and, and literally physically on our campus. So I would just, I just wanted to mention that because I think, um, I don't actually yeah. believe that my friends and colleagues are for segregation and what really is like, you're talking about the fear. It's, it's, it's a, form of terrorizing minorities in this country. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that we want that on our, you know, anywhere in our country, but certainly not in what's supposed to be an open university that's inclusive. Exactly. And what we're hearing in the media and from public health is that these populations just don't have access or they're being fed misinformation and that's why they're not choosing it. But no, in my experience, some of the most educated people on the topic and who have cultural histories, you know, that have informed them to have medical due diligence. They call it hesitancy. I call it medical due diligence. And so that needs to be respected. Um, yeah. So, yes, we do have a caller. So we have Becca calling in. Hi, Becca. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for calling in today. What's on your mind? Oh, I'm a, a nurse in the UW system, and i just been listening here. And so... Uh, totally agree with it all and it's um uh as someone said before me there that they're just the surprise of how many colleagues that are you know as i say drink the fauci kool-aid but um <laughs> you know and can hardly even have a discussion about it and uh so it's just kind of disheartening yeah now in before COVID, what was it like trying to have any sort of vaccine discussion? What was, was it possible then? 
well, yes, because we were requested to get the flu every year and the flu shot. And um, there were lots of us that didn't get the flu shot. And, um, you know, you got like counseling. You had to go talk to human or the health department, whatever, you know, at the hospital. And Mm -hmm. you just said no and all right. You know, you were educated on it. You had to sign a paper. And Mm -hmm. some years they like made you wear a mask for a while. But within after two or three weeks, people kind of forgot who got the shot and who didn't. You just quit wearing the mask. Um, Or I did. I just quit wearing it. and Nobody ever said anything. So, um, you know, there was some discussion and some divide. Yeah. Well, yeah, the the masks never worked for the flu. There was a group of nurses who took a case to court and actually won in Canada a couple of years ago um, because there was no proof that the masks did anything to stop the spread of the flu. And I I would bet that these education courses that you are made to go through about the flu vaccine never said told you that they do not prevent mucosal infection they don't stop the spread of the flu at best their personal protection only um you know so it comes down to product it comes down to we might have this grand theory of let's protect everybody giving them a vaccine that's theory let's look at the products actually on the market people have to choose to attain your goal the products aren't up to snuff those flu vaccines aren't up to snuff and the COVID vaccines aren't up to snuff. So um, what are you able to work now? Are you feeling pressure? Are you able to uh, turn in an exemption for the COVID shot? Well, I'm, I'm working. Um, I kind of wish I had done it the day they said it when it wasn't so hot topic. But mm-hmm. um, yes, I, I worked on it last night. I've had my, a couple of my friends read it um, and all the reading that I've done. Um, that the yeah. religious has the most backbone behind it. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. and, and as I was saying, as I was looking over my records and doing that, I realized, because I requested my vaccine records from the state, I have not had a vaccine in over 20 years. So it's not like a new thing. And that's what I'm putting in my letter as well. I've never done this and I am, you know, healthy. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this either. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I do encourage you before you turn that in, look at our webpage at some of the legal resources, look over their advice. Um, you know, although your re- con- the you know, your religious freedom rights are guaranteed under the law. However, religious rights are being politicized. And you really should not have to explain yourself at all. You should, you know, ideally the law would allow you simply to say, and actually the law says you can just state it's against my religious belief. You don't have to explain yourself. However, as I said, it's being politicized and uh, companies, managers, um, they're being, they're being rather coerced into being really, you know, scrutinizing your beliefs to make sure they really are, you know, your personally held belief. Um, And, you know, it's just, it's really tragic that they're making people go through this. So there are attorneys who have been looking really closely to make sure that, because I know it is your, your belief that you word things correctly, so that your personally held religious belief not to take these products 
is protected. Yes, I, you know? I, I've definitely, because I Good. was very worried about the wording. So I have definitely Good. looked at your stuff and a couple others and gotten the wording. Okay. And uh, one of the things I really like about uh, the petition you have is talking about confidentiality. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know, the the people that I have nothing to do with that work should not know what um, you know, yeah. only my immediate supervisor or even right. the human, you know, the human resources, someone or, you know, it shouldn't be filtered down. So every manager knows this or that, you know, and worrying right. about um, feeling uh, pressure or mm-hmm. um, yeah, feeling the pressure, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, Becca, thank you so much for calling in and, and speaking out. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, thank Becca. Hi. <laughs> I see we have another caller. We have Anne from Seattle. Hi, Anne. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on, and thanks for all the work that, that you all are doing. I really um, I can't say enough of um, how much I admire you all. Oh, well, thank you on behalf of all of us. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm an employee at the University of Washington within the School of Public Health, and I've been mm-hmm. there for over 15 years. And I also got my, uh, like Javier, I got my master's degree um, at the university as well in public health. Okay, that's, so what's going on with you? What, what are your thoughts about what's happening? Are you taking action as well? Yes, definitely. I am a big fan of the petition. And uh, this whole thing has been, you know, really, really traumatizing and very, uh, you know, really rocking my world being in public health. I just, I feel like, uh, you know, you say a lot, Bernadette, like it's a bizarre world. <laughs> it's like yeah. up is down yeah. and down is up. Uh, you know, I've worked with, within the field of social justice, most of my career and most of my adult life and with really, you know, a lot of populations who incur social injustices all the time and this is really to me just a huge violation of human rights i mean the coercion the number of people who are you know losing their jobs due to these mandates and especially in cities like new york and in san francisco it's it's terrible i mean people are being threatened people are even if they don't want the vaccine they're under duress to get it and like Mm -hmm. Javier was saying I mean this is just this is we learn about this in public health this is an ethical issue you don't coerce people to do something and threatening to take away their income threatening their jobs this is one huge form of coercion and I I'm just so dismayed by by the number of people who seem to think this is a good idea (laughs) not Mm -hmm. only is this not a violation of human rights or medical choice but it's a great idea and everyone's behind it and it's just been it's been really really disturbing to me yeah i think we we're all nodding away with you (laughs) we we really uh do agree so uh, you know are you finding are you finding you can have conversations um among other workers there or or is it is it scary to try to speak up? Or are you are you still in a virtual environment where you're not even having a lot of interaction yet? Yeah, we're still virtual for sure. And you know, many of my colleagues are working in COVID. They they have a lot of funding. They're very busy, 
I'm sure they feel like they are doing a lot of good, um, and a lot of them are, you know, researchers or, um, you know, data, working with data, COVID data. And so I definitely don't feel like I can speak up for, for sure everyone is following the mainstream narrative and, mm -hmm. um, you know, supportive, I would say, probably of these mandates that we're all in general, uh, happy about it. I work with a mm -hmm. lot of doctors too, and they're, you know, most of them that I've talked to seem to be in favor of it. So I, I've been quiet. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I just think that the university is realizing kind of all the unintended consequences that may come of this, just sort of like what Jessica was talking about with, you know, the, the racial disparities that we see in public health around vaccine uptake, and, and especially with the COVID vaccine. Um, you know, actually, when she was talking about it, I pulled, pulled up the data from the CDC and of the people who report their race. I mean, we've got 9% of blacks that are fully vaccinated in this country. We've got 59% of whites. And like you said, Bernadette, there's lots of reasons in public health that people are citing these numbers. But, you know, I've been parts of, you know, working groups that are really trying to figure out solutions to these issues and many of them have a lot of people of color a lot of BIPOC people and someone the other day said is this a way to whiten campuses is this a way to implement racial segregation in the name of safety and those are the mm -hmm. questions for the university too like are you thinking about that piece of this all I'm sure they don't they don't want that you know I, I do believe they they don't want that but but no one's thinking of that they're just thinking of you know following orders that are coming yeah. from the top. They're not standing up to to the governor's orders and mm -hmm. all of these things. They're just not. They're not ethical. Are they legal? I don't know. They don't seem yeah. legal. They're definitely not ethical. How we would define that in public health? It's it's very disturbing. It yeah. It, it's like they decided on an action um, that they were going to push this vaccine. They started this January, 2020, basically we're going, we're going to develop a vaccine and this is going to be the answer. And then they put the blinders on. And so nothing's going to stop them. It doesn't matter that the vaccine is a failure in harming people. It doesn't matter that their policies are kicking people out of work, making them lose their jobs or their homes. They don't, it doesn't seem to matter that loved ones are dying alone in the hospital. You know, that the most inhumane things are being perpetrated on people. It doesn't matter that you're going to end up with colleges with a lot of white males and, you know, no diversity, even though all they do is preach diversity. It's just, it's really bizarre. And I've just heard it said, if, if the actions being taken don't make sense for what's being claimed the actions are for, if they're not reaching their goal, there must be some other goal because there is a pretty stinking big powerful force driving this. And if real health of everybody is not the goal, then what is the goal? You know, thank you so much for your call. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, we have uh, another, we've got a third caller. We've got Orla calling from Kitsap. Hi, Orla. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm just, um, I'm calling in because um, I was really excited that you guys were going to be talking about um, UW things today. Um, I'm currently a student at the University of Washington, and it's been really rough to even connect with my peers um, since we did have... Um, primarily online but also coming back into in-person 
I'm mm-hmm. finding it extremely difficult to talk about different points of view with professors and peers on campus um, because what we had in-person classes um, just this past semester and it was very obvious that there was a lot of groupthink going on and people made their opinions very, very clear and um, it was just not a safe space to express if I thought something was not um, not right or if I disagreed with it. Um, and it's kind of scary how little lack there is of students who do express a difference of opinion because some of my peers were even suggesting that it should be a law that people get vaccinated against COVID-19. <laughs> wow. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just not, um, not been particularly fun and it's sad to say but I feel I don't really feel that excited to go back to campus anymore because I don't feel like it's becoming a safe place really that and that's really tragic that it mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be the quality of the education that is making you feel this way um, it's this um, yeah the inability to really feel safe in your beliefs, mm-hmm. that's, that's any, uh, Javier or Jessica, any words for Orla? Yeah, I mean, I teach English, I teach in the humanities. So critical thinking, open debate. I mean, this is what we're supposed to be there to do. That's what academia is supposed to be, right? I mean, we're supposed to be an open university. And I always tell my students like dissent, debate, those are the bedrocks of academic discourse. And our, it's just, it's so disturbing to me that our actions are not reflecting those values of academic freedom, whether it's in health or otherwise. And what I'm hearing like from you, Orla, and you know, this is just pervasive everywhere. We've already talked about it. It's just the fear. And it's, I mean, of course, with these nomadic people are afraid to lose their jobs, but at an open university, people are afraid even just to speak. I mean, I'm afraid to speak, to be honest with you guys, like I'm afraid to be on this podcast and something is very wrong here when we have students who don't even feel safe voicing an opinion, you know, on Mm -hmm. campus, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's crazy. Something's really off base. Yeah, I really agree. And, you know, as I said before, with my past history with the University of Washington on the subject of vaccines, uh, an, a, another part to that experience with Meninja Cockle is I reached out to the student newspaper and I sent them some studies and I sent them some data and I said, would you consider writing about this? Because they're about to mandate for freshmen and sophomore this, this vaccine. It would be great to get some opinion from the students. And the editor of the paper at the time wrote back to me, we will not write about that. We believe in vaccines here and we are not going to, you know, write anything that is critical. And and I wrote back and it's like, I mean, you know, I, at the time, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I'm 58 now. So, um, this kid is old enough. I, you know, be my child, if not grandchild. And I'm like, listen, kid, you're studying journalism. That's not journalism. You need to report the facts. If, if you are just um, reporting what authority is telling you and you're not independently verifying it for yourself, I mean, I guess that's where we ended up. That's, that's the sort of reporting we're getting, except for these brave independent ones who are stepping up, you know, um, we're, we're getting, um, 
we're just getting a whole lot of people thinking that anything out of the mouths of the CDC is God. Well, I hope they're listening to the CDC now because the CDC is admitting that anybody who got this vaccine early on is set up now for more severe disease to the Delta variant. So, you know, they're finally, I think they're finally speaking truth because people are seeing it before their own eyes. And if they don't admit it, you know, they can't cover it up anymore. So Orla, thank you so much for your call. Can I, I, don't, can I ask oh, a quick question, ahead. I just yeah. wanted to ask Orla um, if you have any advice and no pressure to answer this, but I'm, I'm wondering like how we can get this petition out to more students because that is a real challenge. Like I have limited access to colleagues being still online until September, um, but it's really difficult given that the only place I get to interact with students is in my like professional capacity on a corporate platform like Zoom. Um, so do you have any advice for how to reach students who might want to sign it or at least contact us and maybe feel like a little bit like they have some solidarity on campus? Um, I think definitely reaching out to any groups on Facebook that have anything to do with UW is good, anything health related. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of student activity on those pages, but I know as a student who's worried about it, I do personally go and check and see what the updates are like. Um, and I sometimes look through people's comments to see what the general um, general consensus is. I think it's a lot of parents that are also really concerned, so that would be good um, to get parents who are concerned about their the mandates at the university. Um, but yeah, I haven't had much luck <laughs> connecting with students, so I think that would probably just be my best advice. Awesome. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate you calling in, and hang in there. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Thank thanks so much. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, th there's a lot of talk, and it has been for more than a year, that this shutdown, closed down, keeping us from humanly in-person interacting is intentional. You can see where it leads. The inability to really connect is, is here. You just can't get, you don't have those hallway moments. You don't have those crossing the campus moments. Um, that ability to really connect and engage. Instead, we get this really weird consensus. I'm beginning to hate the word consensus um, of opinion with people being swayed and and being controlled in a very tight way and it just it makes me want to unplug and burst out and just go out into the real world hug trees hug people <laughs> you know um so so yeah we've got just a couple more minutes to the top of the hour before we go to break um it, can i say a couple things yeah, about um, sure i'm just in case people who are listening are interested in in reading over the petition i just wanted to to make it clear that it is open to everyone. So anyone can sign it and you can also sign it anonymously if you prefer. We decided to do that because um, one, anonymously because of the fear uh, of social derision and you know professional threats of any kind. Um, but we also wanted to make it open because UW is a public institution with a really extensive reach, right? It receives massive amounts of public funding, uh, taxpayer dollars, and it's also, it's just a bastion of of the wider Seattle and Washington state community. So mm -hmm. it's not just, you know, students and staff, but also people get their healthcare from UW Medicine. They go to events on campus. They have 
you know, kids or grandkids that go there. So we wanted to include anyone. So even if you're not a direct worker or um, student, you can still sign it. Um, and it's really cool. We, we have an option, you know, for you to actually put like how you're associated, whether you're a community member or a parent or an alum. Um, and then I also just want to make it really clear that we encourage vaccinated community members to sign it too. Uh, in fact, we've already had vaccinated people sign it. So it's not, you know, it's not an anti-vaccine petition. We're just calling for all workers and students to be treated equally, regardless of their vaccination status. So I just want to make that explicit. I got nothing but love from my vaccinated friends and colleagues and, and students. And I know, you know, as I said before, I know a lot of them, you know, however you feel about the vaccine, I know in their hearts, they're really not in favor of coercion or, or segregation in the mm -hmm. workplace or the classroom. That's very good. Um, anything to say, Javier, before we go to the break or? Well, I think that what we're, one component that we're missing is that uh, the current uh, emergency uh, uh, executive order, uh, basically the legislature is, has, has gone on autopilot and handed the reins over to, to Governor Inslee. Uh, right now, uh, it's important to engage with your legislators, uh, either on the Republican side or the Democrat side, independent, uh, libertarian, go out there and let them know how you feel. Right now, um, Senator uh, Phil Fortunato is uh, driving for a special session in order to do a review because uh, on I think it was earlier this year, uh, Senate Democrats basically said, yeah, we're not gonna do a 30 day review. We're just gonna leave it to the discretion of the governor uh, to basically uh, decide when the emergency is over. And Senator Fortunato, along with uh, some of his colleagues in the Senate, are pushing for a special session to basically say, okay, do we actually have an emergency? Mm -hmm. We actually, and, and basically calling to task his, um, his colleagues uh, to, we have a responsibility as a check against the executive. This is a blank check that they've given to uh, Governor Inslee. And it goes against everything that uh, makes um, a, uh, a republic work which is exactly. checks and balances. And that's what we need to do. Our, our legal system is slow for a reason. Our legislators are held to account for a reason. Our governors are not kings for a reason. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I love those parting words. Um, so we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we've got another hour with these folks and um, you're welcome to call in. The number is one 298 5569. That's 1-888-298-5569. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Jessica Holmes, who's a teacher at the University of Washington. Do I call you a professor, Jessica? I'm a lecturer, technically, meaning job security. Okay. Okay. We'll elevate you from teacher to lecturer. (laughs) And we have Javier Figueroa. Um, graduate of University of Washington, and you were a professor. At, did you ever do any teaching there? So I, I was uh, an affiliate assistant uh, professor, which basically means that I was external to the university, and they mm. gave me a title, and that was it. But uh, again, I was, you know, I've, I've taught as a as a graduate student, and part of my postdoc also involved teaching. Uh, again, proud to be associated proud to have been associated, uh, Mm -hmm. proud to continue to uh, uh, be from the University of Washington. Yeah, yeah, and and me as well. So we love the UW, we love the state of Washington. We don't like a lot of things going on, but this is our state, this is our university, and we're going to join together and, you know, and and help improve things. Uh, Before we get going here, we've been um, talking about the petition that Jessica has started with other staff and students trying to take action um, against the mandates, mainly to just bring some equality of policy across the board, whether you're vaccinated or not. We're gonna go over that more and we're gonna be taking your calls. The call-in number is 1-888-298-5569. Um, I was going to play a video, but I see that Sam is on the line and I want to talk to Sam. So Sam in Paulsbo, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm good. really enjoying your, your conversation. Um, I think there's a lot of really good information coming out of this. Um, I was wanted to ask you about your petition. I missed the part okay. about the petition. Okay, Jessica, I'll let you go ahead and explain to Sam what the petition's all about. Yeah, so we have a group forming um, called UW for Choice, and it's basically um, anybody who is against discrimination on campus on the basis of medical status. So we're, you know, any employees, students, anybody in the community who wants to support. Um, And the first action that we're putting together is this petition, um, which is just calling for equal treatment on campus as they reopen this fall. So no discrimination and no coercion in light of the recent mandates and the pressure on the administration to sort of enact even more stringent measures. So yeah, we're putting together this petition. It's only been out a couple days. It is linked on the Informed Choice Washington page if people wanna go take a look at it more closely. It's about two pages, um, very simple. And you can sign, you can sign anonymously, you can sign as a community member. And we are planning to present it to the administration in the coming days or weeks. Things are escalating pretty fast. Um, So yeah, and you can also, um, I want to mention for for Sam, but also for anyone, you can also reach out to UW for Choice at our email. So it's uwforchoice at protonmail.com. So uwforchoice at protonmail.com if you have questions or you just want to connect. That's wonderful. Yeah, and and so Sam... um, I want to clarify, are, are you the Sam I talked to earlier today? Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, listeners, Sam and I had a conversation earlier. He is, has sort of been facing the ultimate in vaccination discrimination. Um, and I've invited him to be my full guest next week, but um, I'd, I'd love for you to tell listeners, you know, sort of what's been going on with you. Well, I, 
I had an incident with the um, transplant doctors that uh, after I, I, well, I showed up without a mask and they wouldn't let me come into the hospital because I wouldn't wear a mask. And I asked him, even if, even if it was a medical condition that prevented me, he says, don't care, you can't come in. And so they called me back because my appointment was canceled. And the doctor asked me, he says, well, you plan on getting a vaccination, right? And I says, well, not really. And he says, well, you have to have a vaccination to get a transplant. And I says, well, that's a problem because I'm not gonna get a vaccination. And so a few days later, I got a letter. Well, he informed me that they would put me on the the waiting list, kind of take me off the, the transplant list and put me on a waiting list. And a few days later, I got a letter from the UW saying, no, you're not on a waiting list. You're not on a list. You're, you know, you've been removed from the list, which I'd been on for two and a half years. So um, I'm, I'm kind of wow. out, in the, out on the street. And yeah. I found out about this from a guy named Derek, who was uh, on a list for a, a kidney. And he was, he did an interview with, I think it was Jason Rance from a different station. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was pretty much told the same thing, uh, even though his condition um, was, if he got the the vaccination, it could elevate his, temperature his body temperature and that was almost a, a death sentence in and of itself and so he had conditions that precluded him from getting the vaccination and which precluded precluded him from getting the transplant so he's got kind of a double whammy wow. and then i i just saw another guy i think his name was hunter who was being denied a lung transplant because of the same thing so this is kind of a a growing thing and I think that people need to be aware that that this is kind of a a deal where gee that's too bad for you guys but I'm okay well no it's not going to be that way for very long yeah and so that's why I I really applaud what you guys are doing trying to educate people with this um, because it's going to come to everybody's least household at some point yeah and you know you're you were due for heart transplant and you said earlier you know you were concerned because these vaccines the cdc has acknowledged cause heart inflammation blood clots you know various issues that would you would think you would qualify for medical exemption just like with a mask exemption because of your heart issues it makes it very Mm -hmm. difficult for you to breathe and yet they seem to be willing to sacrifice put your life in greater jeopardy what are they afraid of catching covid from you are they not all masked up and vaccinated themselves in the yeah i just I, it it boggles the um the mind it's it, see it it makes no sense that they would do this it's that what what the fear is is that they're going to waste an organ because you're going to get covid and die and um. that's that's kind of ironic because there was just today I read a story about a, a young woman named uh, Simone Scott. Yes, yeah, Simone. Mm-hmm. Actually, took two doses of the virus, the vaccine, mm-hmm. and uh, she ended up with heart inflammation, 
cardiomyocarditis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get it. And uh, <laughs> she ended up getting a transplant. I don't know how she ended up with a transplant so quick, but they transplanted her and she still died because of the inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a loss of life and a loss of an organ, and somebody else has been denied that organ yeah. because the the vaccine messed her up the- and, you know, she couldn't, you know, the um, – Antibodies and everything were attacking. We're still attacking. Yeah, they gave her a new heart without considering. I don't understand this. The um, psychology of vaccination has been so steeped into the medical community that they're safe and effective that the surgeons are not stopping to think this young person whose heart was damaged by the vaccine, that vaccine is still active within her. She is still Mm -hmm. potentially making spike protein. The inflammation, you know, that ultimately destroyed the second heart was still active. It, you know, there's the, yeah. um, It's, it's really tragic in so many ways. Um, There's an FDA warning on these products for heart inflammation, no? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I just want to end this this so you can go into some other callers mm-hmm. by saying that 365 times in the Bible it says do not fear once for each day of the war, of the year and I w- just want to encourage the people out there to stand up and not be afraid and just just stand up against this because it's we're at the beginning of this and it's not going to go well if everybody's going to be afraid. Mm-hmm. To, to take a beating because we we will take a beating and there's no doubt about that but we have to we have to stand up against the tyranny that's coming our way and even yeah. if it costs us our lives and for some of us that's a real equation it, so it is sam you've moved me to tears i love how you're ending that with that um the the passage and no fear day to day no fear that's what it's going to take mm-hmm. it's an honor to speak with you and i look forward to um our, our longer uh, more in-depth conversation next week it'll be a hoot yeah <laughs> thank you sam right. i appreciate the time and yeah and i just thank you to your your guests because i, I really think they're showing a lot of courage because they're they're kind of coming out of the lion's den and mm-hmm. they're, they're the people that are showing no fear because they have to go back in there and face mm-hmm. the fallout from what they're doing. So my hat's yeah. off to you too. Thank you, Sam. Same to you. Thank you, Sam. And I hope that uh, you're able to uh, overcome this and hopefully, you know, if we can help in any way, uh, we will be there. Oh, hey, before you hang up there, Sam, yeah, before you hang up there, um, I I would love eventually to hook up Sam and Javier to have a discussion potentially about HBOT. I'm not a doctor. I can't give advice, but I just wonder if there is any information about hyperbaric oxygen that may help Sam with his current heart condition. So um, I'm going to put you two together so you can talk science and medicine and, um, and just see if there's potential for healing there for you, Sam. Excellent. I appreciate that. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Sure. You're welcome. All right. Um, bye-bye. bye-bye. Yeah. The, you know, the people it's, I, I am almost like near, near tears here. The, the people that we meet, 
how we all pull together the silver lining, the, the most amazing humanity is really at a cusp it could tip either way. And I think Sam was right. He gave us what we needed to hear 365 times in the Bible. And it doesn't matter if you know you're not a Christian and you don't follow the Bible. It's a source of guidance and advice that's very old, that's got some great wisdom in it. And, you know, fear is a powerful weapon that has been used against us on many fronts with what has been happening and yeah we just when you just let go of it and you just just let it wash right over you and decide you're not going to give into it you're just going to stand your truth oh that's powerful that's that's pretty cool yeah yeah so um you know what let, let's kind of take a little bit of that that was very heavy and really important things and like i said next week we're going to be um talking more with sam in depth but i want to go ahead and, and share with you the answer that public health should be promoting and that all of us, along with petitions and protests and marches and sit-ins and whatever it's going to take to stop the mandates, as powerfully as we work to do that, we must work to promote this. So I'm going to share this with you. These are the founding physicians of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. They convened to develop highly effective treatment protocols to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and to improve the outcomes for patients ill with the disease. Today, they want you to know how to prevent COVID-19, even against the variants. This is the molecule of ivermectin, the medicine that can end the pandemic. Ivermectin was discovered and developed in 1975 in Japan by Dr. Satoshi Amura and Dr. William Campbell. In 2015, Drs. Amura and Campbell each received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for ivermectin's discovery. They deserved it. The medicine has brought relief and saved the lives of millions across the globe for nearly 40 years. Ivermectin was first used in humans in 1987 for the treatment of parasitic diseases. It has eradicated pandemics of numerous diseases for four decades. Plus, for nearly 40 years, it has been given safely across the world nearly four billion times. Ivermectin is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. It has been deemed to be one of the safest medicines known to mankind. But this workhorse of a drug is not yet finished. In the past eight months, numerous controlled clinical trials are reporting consistent, large improvements in COVID-19 patient outcomes when treated with ivermectin. People treated with ivermectin experience numerous clinical benefits. Fewer infections, reduced inflammatory markers, more rapid improvement, more rapid viral clearance, shorter hospitalization, 
and a reduction in mortality. As you can see, ivermectin has been very well studied across the world. In fact, the amount of scientific medical evidence is mountainous. As of July 16, 2021, 60 clinical studies, including 30 randomized controlled trials, have evaluated the role of ivermectin in the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Here's how it works. Ivermectin inhibits the replication of many viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and others. Ivermectin has potent anti-inflammatory properties with multiple mechanisms of action. Ivermectin diminishes viral load and protects against organ damage in animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection. It prevents transmission of COVID-19 when taken either pre- or post-exposure. It hastens recovery and decreases hospitalization and mortality in patients with COVID-19. And it leads to far lower case fatality rates in regions with widespread use. Then, when ivermectin is used with the additional components in the FLCCC Alliance's iMask Plus protocol, it can work even better in preventing COVID-19. So here is what the FLCCC Critical Care Physician Team recommends. Just like you keep a first aid kit around the house, please start keeping a just-in-case COVID kit. Here is what the kit contains. Ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, melatonin, and gargle or mouthwash. You can find our Eye Mask Plus protocol plus all of our prevention and treatment protocols at flccc.net. We wish you a lifetime of good health. So that's the FLCCC. I just love them. I encourage you go to flccc.net. Um, videos, um, so much information, all of the studies, links to everything, fantastic um, information. And then they go through and explain why each of those, the, the reasoning behind each of their components that they encourage you to put in the kit. And what's really fascinating is just how powerful mouthwash is. The simple act of with a good um, mouthwash, and they give a couple examples, but, you know, even just Lysol, um, you know, the active ingredient in that gets rid of the virus in your mouth and where you first begin to replicate is in your mouth and throat and nose. Um, and you can also do like a, a simple um, saline nose flush, you know, 
if you've been out and about and exposed to a lot, you come home, you gargle, you do the, the nose flush. You can make yourself a homemade um, gargle with iodine, with like Lugol's iodine. Um, again, not giving medical advice, look up the good mouthwashes that there's actually some studies that show which ones, I believe it's the one with iodine that shows that it neutralizes it. It kills the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So you can do the nasal thing and you can gargle. And here we've got top pulmonary care specialists who have access they can reach to any drug on the planet except for ivermectin in their own hospitals which is a whole other thing um and they're saying one of the most potent things you can do is just gargle when you go out and about come back and gargle and it can make a big difference and when you're sick to help reduce that viral load where you're replicating so anyway there is hope we are presenting problems today uh, and focusing on the UW on the discrimination with the policies different for those getting um, the vaccine and those not getting the vaccine, not based on science, um, but it's discrimination um, regardless. And um, we also have to present hope. And the hope is you don't need to fear, no need to fear COVID because you can protect yourself with nutrients with the vitamin D and all the others, healthyimmunitynow.org is a great website with lots of things, all, you know, drug plus nutrient, hyperlink to the science, tells you all about glutathione. We can do this. And the, and the simple, inexpensive, Nobel Prize winning on the World Health Organization's list of top 10 most essential nutrients, ivermectin, that's taken by billions of people with a safety profile that is superior to every drug ever invented can do the job. And with that, let's get back to our conversation here with Jessica and Javier um, about what's going on at the UW. So Jessica, um, on the break, you said that uh, one thing that might help put some context here of what's going on about higher education, the, the whole, um, you know, what it's like, it, it's like a whole different culture. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I'll say a few words. And then I, I do see we have a caller. I wasn't sure if you noticed, oh, but I didn't. Um, Thank you. You want to go there first and I can, I can talk afterwards. Sure. Let, let's see. Let's go to Caitlin in Seattle. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. Um, I'm not really sure how you feel about this. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Javier. I actually just wanted to uh, send Sam a message over the airwaves. Would that be okay? Sure. Um, I know that we all have variant or Sorry, variance is such a common word right now. It's not the word I have various <laughs> beliefs um, about the Bible. But um, as a fellow Christian, I just wanted to uplift Sam in prayer. And I have a very small group called Body Autonomy of Mothers that pray for each other and our neighbors because ultimately God says that a righteous man is heard. And I'm not a righteous woman. But if you read... Genesis, where God talks about Noah, who was going to build an ark where there had never been rain. It says that there was no righteous man, but God actually says he bestowed righteousness as a gift to Noah. And mm -hmm. I believe the same gift is bestowed to all people that ask God to have an understanding of him. The gift of righteousness was bought through Christ. So though I am not righteous, Christ is righteous. And though my prayers would not be of a righteous woman, they're righteous because God bestows us that gift as Christians. So I believe that my prayers 
run intercession as God has promised. And so I don't think that it's normal to ask to pray for somebody online, but I can't imagine waiting for a heart for two years and then hearing without open, honest context that that was the reason that you were being removed from a wait list. And I just imagine what oppression and discard that must feel from a medical company or a medical society that's supposed to be our caretaker to help us get better. And all I can think is in such a distraught place that there are many of us that just choose to pray for intercession. And I wanted Sam to really know that. And I'll, I'll listen next week when he's online again on your show. But I, I thank you for the opportunity to send him that message um, because he's not alone. He must feel so alone, but he's not. And I'm on your friends list, uh, Bernadette. So if he wants to reach out, he's welcome to, but he's not alone. Okay. Caitlin, thank and you I, so very much for I, that call. You, you gave me the chills. <laughs> um, sorry to use up your time while I know you're trying to search for UW advocates. I, I have UW children that will go there, and it's important to me today that we work together so that if I don't work now, the school won't be open to them then. <laughs> so exactly. I understand the desire to work together because if we don't stand up for each other individually now, when they come for us individually in our time, there won't be anybody left. Amen to that. Yeah. So Caitlin, I, thank you so much, so much for, your, for your call. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, you know, that human connection, that link to link, whatever your language is for connection and, and love and, and humanity and spirituality, nothing is more important. We have learned this in the year of, of sort of forced separation, that we need each other and we need to believe in something bigger than ourselves, you know, and I, so I thank you for that call and for your compassion and your prayers for Sam. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So, um, Jessica, uh, yeah, let, let's talk about the culture of, of a higher education institution. Yeah. Institution. Yeah. That's the last word I needed. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Wow, um, some really powerful calls here. Um, so yeah, I mean, just uh, for those that maybe aren't super familiar with UW and the 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 power that they have, um, both in the Pacific Northwest and just nationally, you know, so much money flows through these institutions of higher ed, particularly at you know heavy duty research institutions like UW, um, which is extremely intermeshed with the medical industrial complex, right? Um, everything from pharmaceutical research, vaccine development, drug development, like these labs pull in massive amounts of federal and state money, taxpayer money. Um, so, you know, you know, in a way, I suppose it's not surprising that now the students and the employees are becoming the guinea pigs. Um, and I just, as an educator, I mean, like my mom, for instance, works in a K through 12 school, uh, not in Washington state, in a different state. Um, and she got her vaccine literally in a school. Like they turned the, I don't know, the gym or the cafeteria or whatever into a vaccine clinic. And I, I find that really kind of scary that our schools are being turned into allopathic medical facilities. And, and, and I'm sorry to say propaganda machines for big pharma you know, what happened to education is not what 
a university is supposed to be about. And, you know, that's like, I don't want to be here doing this. I want to just do my job. Like, I just want to go and be in the classroom with my students. I just want to be a teacher. Um, but I think, you know, understanding sort of the reach that an institution like this has, especially in terms of the medical establishment, it, it's overwhelming um, what we're up against. But then when you hear from someone like Sam, I just don't understand how anyone can listen to him and think, okay, yeah, this is all for, for, for the good of public health, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is someone's life. You mm -hmm. get one body, like one body, right? And it's not up to, you know, the governor or your boss or your school, right? Every, every mm -hmm. student, every young person should have a right to a public education. Um, mm -hmm. However you feel about the public education system in this country, yes, there's many, many problems with it, right? But yeah. people have a right to that, just like Sam has a right to equal health care. He does. He denied that. He, d he does. And I know when it, you know, when it comes to the, the difficult decisions of transplant organs, deciding who there's, there's more demand than there is, you know, um, donated organs and very difficult decisions do have to be made. I do understand that. And one of the decisions that's, that's in the mix is what are the odds that this person, you know, will really benefit and for how long will they benefit from this heart? So you can see that is sort of the decision-making behind the scenes, I think this, in this particular instance, for him and the, and the kidney patient and all the others that he mentioned that are being denied, it's not being based on the actual science of COVID-19 or the product they're asking him to get. That is what is so, you know, absolutely alarming. You know, it's, it's above and beyond what is happening to the UW students you know, the science really does matter here. And, and he's, that's what I find so galling, you know, and maybe six months from now, they'll change their mind. And I pray that Sam is still with us. And in six months, um, without this product injected, he is able to get a heart. I hope they can put him back in line. I don't know how that works. I hope he can jump back to the place in line where he was, where he deserves to be. What do you think, Javier, about the, you know, the culture, all, there is so much money in the culture of universities today, controlling what's going on. Yeah, unmute. <laughs> do you mind if I actually can share my screen for a moment? Um, I believe you can give it a try, see if it works for you. Oh, wait a minute. I'm on another computer. Never mind. Oh, darn. <laughs> Never mind. The whole point is, you know, there's a concern. There is mass vaccination for one, you know, the what's being told is to protect yourself so you can protect others, right? Mm -hmm. That's sort of the message that that's uh, that's being propagated. Uh, do you want to know how many uh, people the age of zero to nineteen have died of of the vaccines or of the virus? Of the of the virus. Um, I it's under 400, I believe. Zero in the state of Washington. Oh, zero in, in we're state of Washington. I'm For glad to hear that. 2021. Yeah. Uh, and it was less than, uh, I think it was four last year. And we're talking about, you know, and it's unfortunate that, uh, that uh, those, those, those children did die in, in, in 2020. 
But you know, now we're looking at uh, death rates that are substantially low. If you get infected on average, based on your age, based on comorbidities, based on all these things, you have a 99.8% survival or forgetting if you're infected, 99.8. And that's with the current standard of practice. Without everybody getting early treatment as they should right. get. Correct. The, yeah. So again, you know, now we're talking about, now we're talking about hospital policies and the resistance of hospitals to actually do something that is, that is effective has been shown now worldwide to work. There's such a resistance. I've been hearing reports of various hospitals that are still intubating patients mm -hmm. as a matter of course, if they get a SARS-CoV-2 positive on there. And that is, to, to, my, to my mind, it's, it's just, okay, there's all this evidence. You're still using CDC guidelines. They publish a, a basically a protocol list of things that they consider approved and you know experimental. And of course, all the ivermectin, all the high dose vitamin C, which has a lot of evidence now, mm -hmm. vitamin D and all that, nothing. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting to the point where it, it is becoming ridiculous. 99.995% of surviving this period mm -hmm. globally. Globally, yeah. And we've shut down the nation, the state. We're putting all this pressure. We're coercing people for something that is highly survivable. It is only getting more survivable over time as more and more doctors are saying, you know what? I better start changing things around and want to keep my patients alive. Yeah. Well, you know, as I've said often, the silver lining of COVID is it has revealed a lot of the systemic problems of the medical industry. First of all, it's an industry. Medicine should not be an industry. It should be a devotion. It should be an art. Uh, um, it, it should be something, a labor of love that individuals get into. And I know many of them do. Many of the nurses and doctors in medicine went into it because they really wanted to, you know, serve and heal and help but they're they're caught up in this industry that does not let them use their common sense or their experience or what they see before their eyes to make judgment they have to follow the rules i've told listeners before the story about us getting kicked out of the hospital because we wouldn't get the dangerous drug um which was standard of care even though they acknowledged the one we wanted him to be given was superior right? Um, this has got to end and COVID has really revealed this, you know, we've got a long way to go because, you know, it is deep. It is so deep, the corruption, the scientific journals, you know, the, the three letter organizations, but I believe in, in, I mean, Sam and, um, and Caitlin and, and all the callers and all of you, I believe in the human spirit and, and the drive for truth and that we can overcome this. We, we do it with, passion and grace and love. We're going to have to stand up and get louder, a lot louder. I, I tell you, I left a pretty fierce message on Governor Inslee's um, re, um, voicemail this weekend. I did inform him I felt he belonged in prison. I stand by that. I gave him my phone number if he wants to discuss it. He has not called yet. Um, yeah, so um, uh, natural immunity. So uh, Jessica, do you have anything in your petition that calls for them to recognize natural immunity? We don't at the moment. I mean, I think that's a 
you know, a huge blind spot or I don't know, willful blind spot um, in a lot of this uh, in terms of it's just being overlooked. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I, I believe I had COVID um, in December and, you know, that immunity is going to be stronger than any vaccine, any pharmaceutical product. And that just apparently doesn't matter to the administration. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're not advocating for, we would really like for people to not have to prove, you know, whether it's like through forced testing, because that's, um, that's one thing that's being called for is, oh, we, we need to test the unvaccinated every week, every other, you know, however long. Um, and it's just, it's not supported by the science. Like we know the PCR tests, there's so many problems with those. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm open to, you know, maybe talking about that more with people as they're joining our group. Um, if there's a way, I don't know, like if people can show antibodies, um, perhaps that would be one way. But again, I think constantly having um, people having to sort of, you know, prove yourself exactly. <laughs> sick, sick until proven healthy, right? Like should yes. not be the model, particularly as yes. a condition for education. Yeah, where does it end? It's it's ridiculous. It's it, we're human beings. We're microbial creatures. You could swab anybody at any time over the past thousand years, and you're going to find potentially pathogenic microbes. Um, you know, it, th this whole approach to illness of fearing disease instead of supporting health is highly profitable but not good for the individual. I, I see we have a phone call here. We've got Sharon oh, from South Carolina. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, thanks. Thank you so much. I, I'm putting my kids to bed, so I apologize if you hear noise. I only have a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to call in. Yeah, my sister goes, she's a graduate student at UW and I'm a faculty, um, I'm in a, an art department at a university in South Carolina. Unfortunately, it hasn't been mandated at my institution yet, but um, of course I'm terribly concerned. And yeah, I just wanted to call in and give my support. I, uh, I'm watching all of these mandates throughout the country and it's, it's very concerning. It, it is, it, it might be a good idea to organize now before so you're ready to go. It's really hard to scramble right. once the orders come down. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's, you know, there's the issue of the mandates and, you know, finding a way to get an exemption. But then there's also the, um, the work environment. You know, people are incredibly hostile right now and mm -hmm. truly want the unvaccinated to suffer. And, you know, I, I'm concerned about my status coming out to my colleagues and, you know, there's so many things in academia that come up like extracurricular type of events and going to places that also mandate vaccines. And so it's really like dodging one fireball after another. And it's, it's very challenging. It's, <laughs> and it's very at the beginning of it. Exactly. It's, it's intentionally challenging. Didn't, you know, we've heard, um, the pro-vaccine forces say, we're going to just keep making it harder and harder to live your life if you say no. Wasn't it the leader of France that was part of his speech? We're going to make it so difficult to, to live a, a, a decent life if you don't choose to get it. I mean, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. 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 It's scary times. I really hope that things shift. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'll so, be following. 
things at UW. <laughs> yeah, and let's remember what Sam said. We can't let fear get us. So every time yes. we hear ourselves say, I mean, I say it too scary times, but I am choosing not to be afraid, right? So let's right. try to change our language. Let's try to change how we even talk to ourselves. I think that's where we start. What is the language yeah. we say to ourselves? Am I afraid? Am I concerned? I'm saying, heck no, you are not doing that to me. You know, we got to find that yeah. language. We got to strut and power and stand up and say, throw your tomatoes, do what you're going to do. I will not comply. That's, you know, finding that new attitude. It's very empowering. I, you know, I found it a yeah. while ago because I've been in this movement a long time and, you know, I've been called a lot of names. Um, do you, I'm going to let you go because you said you got to get the kids to bed, but I'm going to continue on this theme here. So Sharon, thank you for calling in. Might, 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 might I interrupt Bernadette? Yes. Yes. So one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that uh, a lot of nations are now coming to the same conclusion that, you know, this, this uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, and the vaccines uh, are not the, you know, one, we have to deal with it. And two, maybe it's not the best way to go about uh, achieving the immunity that we need to achieve. Norway recently announced, I think about a week ago, that uh, they're basically going to drop all mandates, all mask wearing, and they're not going to force vaccinations because uh, they just realized this is now an endemic virus. This is, this is the Department of Health, the Ministry of Health in Norway, basically saying this is now an endemic virus. We have to start treating it like a seasonal flu, and we can't go on shutting down the nation. Denmark also recently announced that they're going to lift all the restrictions and mandates uh, for virus, mask wearing, vaccination, because they've also come to the same conclusion. So now we have nations, along with Sweden, which never shut down, never mandated mask wearing, and has never said there will be a mandate for vaccines and which has the lowest vaccination rate in the entirety of, uh, of Scandinavia. Uh, they have, they, they're free. They're back to work. They're living their lives. People are not dying at the rates mm -hmm. that they were predicting SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. Norway's come to the same conclusion. Uh, I think Iowa, a county in Iowa, basically said, yeah, it's endemic. We just have to deal with it. There's no more requirements for constant testing. So places are waking up. Nations are waking up. People are realizing that, you know what? Yeah, we've been told to be afraid, but now it's just part of life. We okay. have to deal with it and we come, have to come to grips with it, period. That's it. That's good. That's good. It's very exciting to hear that that is taking hold. Common sense is taking hold in other nations. It will la be the last to come here because I believe we have, what is it, 5% of the world's population, and we use 70% of all the prescription drugs in this nation. So we are kind of a target audience for the drug industry. Um, Jessica, did you have something to say? I Did I cut you off there? No, no, you're good. Um, and thanks, um was it Sharon, um, to the caller and, and yeah. here, um, your family member who's a grad student. So yeah, I wanted to mention um, just uh, another kind of aspect of this that I think continues to be overlooked is just the cost of these measures. And I can just tell you as a teacher, um, I have seen in pretty much across the board, higher rates of students being diagnosed with mental health issues, um, you know, everything from 
suicidal ideation, anxiety, depression, bipolar, um, you know, and, and I, I know like statistically what is disclosed to me either from like our disability um, office at the UW or directly from my students, like that number is much smaller than the actual um, total number of students who are really suffering with these things. So this is, you know, this online model and then all of these um, restrictive measures, they really come at a cost to our young people. And I'm just not, you know, I'm very worried for my students and, and my colleagues, like how much longer can they go on with this? I know in 2020, we had like 10% of Americans, I think it was um, seriously contemplated suicide. And then for 18 to 24 year olds, which is the majority of my students fall into that category. It was one in four seriously contemplated suicide. Mm. Um, we had 30% of um, opioid overdose deaths up, um, up 30% in 2020, which by the way is, you know, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, they're currently settling for millions of dollars because they were responsible. And these are mostly young people that are dying of those. So you know, I understand like the concern over COVID, but it cannot be, cannot continue to live with these, these blinders on, right? Because it's, yeah. it's literally costing lives. Again, yeah. like, go back to Sam's call. Like, why is his life less valuable? Exactly. It's not, it's not. We're going to, we're going to do all we can to help Sam. Yeah. Um, I'm checking the time here. Um, we got, you know, about five more minutes to go. The hours just go so uh, quickly. There's so much to cover. I had said at the top of the first hour, I wanted to cover two subjects. Let's just do them kind of briefly here. So Javier, I'm going to turn to you. Can you kind of explain what's going on? The CDC has now admitted that um, independent dependent enhancement does appear to be happening. There are blood studies showing those enhancing antibodies are formed in the vaccinated. Could you explain some of that to the listeners? So when the body develops this has been known since the first SARS uh, outbreak, uh, when they tried to develop uh, the, the basically a traditional vaccine against SARS, and also was seen with respiratory syncytial virus in children. So what they saw was that the vaccine was taken well, the traditional vaccines were taken well, they did not produce serious adverse events. But when people and animals were re-exposed to either, you know, if the, if the vaccine was against respiratory syncytial virus or SARS, they had an over-the-top inflammatory response. Apparently, these antibodies and the immune system mount a hyperactive response with increased inflammation, with increased um, uh, cytokine production, uh, with just uh, you know shutting down organ systems because you, you have all these cytokines uh, occurring uh, and increasing the, um, uh, the attack. And antibodies, in some cases, attacking organs uh, just because you know it, it's 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 hyperactively uh, uh, induced. Mm -hmm. uh, again, now we're talking about the production of a fragment with with uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and even Johnson and Johnson. You're producing a fragment of a viral protein at the surface of the cell, and that actually has a potential for causing the immune response to attack organs. Because what we what we know from the data is that the the, the uh, mRNA and even the adenovirus do not stay at the site of injection. They travel throughout the body. So mm -hmm. Pfizer was, re re uh, well, Pfizer didn't announce this. It was found that in um, a, uh, they, in a not in a study, but in a, 
uh, report. Biodistribution study? Biodistribution yeah. study in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it basically went around the body and it concentrated in different organ systems. Mm -hmm. So the potential for antibody dependent enhancement, where the initial antibodies that are produced from the in that reaction to the vaccine will actually combine with the secondary exposure to the virus and cause even greater damage. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's potentially, and I hope it doesn't occur, that's something that could potentially happen uh, in this uh, seasonal wave that, that should be coming up um, uh, in, the, in the next few weeks and months with SARS. So it's yeah. something that we just need to be aware of. Uh, there are ways to overcome it. It's not all gloom and doom. Yes. Vitamin D is great. Vitamin C is great. Ivermectin, zinc, they all have a great way to actually put the brakes down on mm -hmm. uh, really bad inflammatory responses and mm -hmm. actually help to modulate the immune system appropriately. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's, again, this is not all doom and gloom. We have the power for, within ourselves to actually manage this effectively. Yeah. And, and glutathione. I, I, it's been a while since I had Dr. Ted Fogarty on. Maybe I had to get a hold of Ted okay. and bring him on yep. again. Because glutathione is your body's ma master antioxidant. It can shut down viral replication and it can help you heal. It's an amazing thing. And he's got this great, I got to find it and repost it. I'm calling it Fogarty's rations. He got a, he got a CARES Act grant and, and he came up with this formula. It's the three peptides that make up um, glutathione, you know, and you can buy it in bulk and spirulina and beet powder and lemon powder. And you mix this all up. And then you just take like a quarter teaspoon right in the mouth of lemon powder makes you salivate. So it dissolves instant absorption. It just empowers every cell in your body, boosts your glutathione levels. It's fantastic. There are so many things we can do relatively inexpensively to protect ourselves. And if you are vaccinated, there is hope. You can do these things. You can get the ivermectin. So everybody needs to go to flccc.net and um, and look up what they have to say, build your COVID kit. And uh, healthyimmunitynow.org has a lot of information. There's a glutathione tab. I don't think I've, um, oh, oh, I heard something and I'm, uh, I thought it was for me, but it wasn't. Um, and uh, I need to, I, I help add stuff to that website. I need to put uh, Ted Fogarty's um, uh, formula up there. It's, it's pretty cool. So how are we doing on the, um, Oh, I had a thought. I hate it when I squirrel to one side and I forget to come back. But yes, there is hope. So we need to just protect each other. I actually yelled at the Board of Health recently at their last meeting. And I just told them this is absurd. When we find out loved ones are in the hospital, you know, we have to get them out so they can get home and get the medicine they need. What's that about? you know, that we have to doctor, you know, I mean, I guess it's good that we're self-sufficient and we can doctor ourselves, um, getting prescriptions from ethical doctors who know, oh, myfreedoctor.com, by the way, myfreedoctor.com. You can go sign up, you put an app on your phone. They are brilliant doctors running the service. They turn nobody away. They will get you a prescription um, where you live for, for ivermectin so you can stock your COVID your COVID kit. I hope everybody here has COVID. I mean, COVID, hello. Uh, Freudian slip there. Everyone here has your, uh, your COVID kit put together. 
Um, you know, and personally, I had COVID. So I love this study that I talked about at the top of the first hour that's called ultra potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 variants. Because it says right here, it says, um, oh, they identified four antibodies from early outbreak convalescent donors that are potent against 23 variants, including variants of concern and characterize their binding to the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. The impact of emerging mutations in the receptor binding domain of spike protein. Anyway, it goes on. It's a little technical, but they are saying ultra potent antibodies. If you've got the natural immunity, you're good to go. You can care for your loved ones, you know, if they come down with it, if your vaccinated friends come down with it, you can help them. Um, let's save each other, you know, <laughs> let's save each other and, and bring these brilliant uh, scientists on hand. Jessica, I'm going to give you a word. I'm rambling here. I'm going to bring Jessica on board for your, your last words. Tell everybody again where they can find your, your petition. Awesome. Yeah. So the petition is linked on informedchoicewad.org. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And please take a look at it, read it over, sign it if you feel inclined, feel free to circulate it. We really want to um, mobilize as many signatures as possible, right? There's safety in numbers. I know it's scary um, to put your name on anything. So if you really do feel sort of threatened or unsafe, um, sign it anonymously. But we really need a critical mass um, in order to have any movement on this. You can also reach out to us at UW for choice. So UWFOR choice at protonmail.com. And we might not have the perfect immediate solutions for you. We're just a couple of regular people, students, employees trying to find our way through this and stand up for what's right. But um, like Bernadette's been saying, you know, when we all work together, we have power. Yeah. We do, we do. And with that, uh, Eric's playing the music off. So Jessica, Javier, everybody who called in, thank you. Have a great weekend and live an informed life. We'll be back next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.